to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Sorry, let's go one chapter before that. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to pick up our reading around verse 49. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 49. And David put his hand in his bag and took and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine on his forehead. And the, st- the stone sunk into his, for- into his forehead and he fell, upon his, he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And he smote the Philistine and, and smote the Philistine and slew him. And there was no sword uh, in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out out of the sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off the head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion dead, they fled. Let's look to the Lord for guidance as we open His Word. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that we could be here this evening, Lord. We're so thankful that we have Your Word. We just ask that You would bless us this time as we are around it, Father. I pray for myself, Lord, that I would be as that vessel that just held the water, Lord, and You did the miraculous miracle and, and turned it into wine, Father. We're nothing but vessels. We're, we're nothing in of ourselves, Father, but we ask that through You and Your Holy Spirit that You would use us and help us to understand Your Word and might even make water into wine. We ask these things in Your Son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, now if we could look at Chapter 18. I'm going to pick up the reading at verse 1. And it came to pass, when he made an end of speaking unto Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant and because he loved him as made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even his sword his bow and his girdle here we see the response of Jonathan to David and it's a, it's a very very profound response that Jonathan has to David to the point where it says that he loved him as his own soul. One can't help to think of of, of why. Why would this man, this, well, he was next in line to be who? The king of Israel. He was the next in line to have the whole kingdom, dominion over the whole kingdom under himself. To just freely give himself and to strip himself to this lowly person whom he just meant and whom he completely got taken over. I must admit that the, tonight's message, I was, I was going through some old messages. And when I, was a, when I was a young man, I remember this message given by our brother Alan Shellick when I was a very young man sitting here in these pews. And, and he, he would just expound from God's word so eloquently the Old Testament, he would speak of David and, and would just leave me in awe. When I was young, I would just see these as very interesting stories. The story of David and Goliath was probably my favorite as a kid. I, I would love it. I would read it. 
and, and it would just thrill me, but I would not get the spiritual application out of it. And, and when Alan Shelley came and he spoke years ago, he, he would come to say that, that the, the children of Israel were, were drawn out of the land of Egypt in the, in the sense that they were saved by God from Egypt and they were brought into the land. And, and, and lo and behold, they were under, under the judges for years, and there were war in the land, and then they were under Saul, and there, were, there was war against the Philistines. And yet, the, the, the people of Israel could never overcome the Philistines. They could never do it of themselves. They could never do it under Saul. And it's not until David came, and they could, until David came, could they finally defeat the Philistines and possess also uh, possess Jerusalem. That's something that they couldn't do under Saul. The Jebusites would have it. And, and they would say we could put the lime and the blame, the, the, the blind and the lame and the walls, and, and they would defend it. You're not coming in here. But lo and behold, the anointed man, the chosen one of God, comes and gets victory. And his point was saying for a Christian to truly have victory over the flesh, in the sense he, he showed it was a, a picture of, of the people in the land, the Philistines. If, if, if in order for us to have victory over the flesh, we have to make David our king. And our David being the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have victory over the flesh, you have to make David your king. And it was that thought of flow that, that I came to read this portion. And a, a little different. Not necessarily in the same exact terms. But when I see the, the, this covenant that was formed between Jonathan and David, and, and Jonathan completely stripped himself and, and, and of, of, of his, his garments of honor, of, of his, his sword, and it says that he loved David. In verse, in verse 3 says, Jonathan, and Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved them as his own soul. What did Jonathan see from this man? What was it that he was so taken over that he would just eternally knit himself to this wonderful person. I ask you, and it's obvious, we just read it. It was it's that wonderful story of, of this young man slaying this giant. It was that simple. Well, I mean, easier said than done. If I'm a young man back then, I'm not stepping on the field with that giant. But he saw David. What did David do? He brought salvation to Israel. Isn't that what he did? He brought salvation to Israel. He stood in front of this giant with a sling, with no sword in his hand, and he slew him. Of course, he had God with him. It's very important. David didn't do it of, of his own self. But nonetheless, he slew the giant. He stood upon him with his own sword. He grabbed the same instrument that was going to inflict death on the people of God with his own instrument, and he finished slaying him. Now call me fanciful, if you will. But just see it for yourselves. Isn't that the same response that a believer, if you're a believer here, and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what drew you to Christ, I ask you? What drew you to Christ? Well... The right answer is Calvary. Christ came into this world. It says in John, His own received them not. He came and lived a perfect life. He lived according to do the Father's will. He came and He suffered. The Son of God taken in the hands of wicked men. And He died for you and for me. 
these are the tactics that God uses. And they work. And that's how a, a believer, a Christian, that believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, how he's completely taken up by this man who came. And just as Jonathan completely got taken over by the work that David did, a believer is completely taken over by the work that Jesus Christ came and did through death. Through death, he overcame. Through that same instrument that Goliath held, David slew him. Through that same instrument, the weakness of men. I love that line in that hymn. Through weakness, he, through through weakness, he over hell prevailed. Through death, he won the day. That's the weakness of man. We die. There's no, no overcoming it. But Christ came and he overcame death with death. And, and, and here tonight I could sit myself thinking and, and, and looking at Jesus Christ and I, my heart could be overwhelmed by, by His work, his, his saving work that He did to save a wretch like David Gill, like you, like me. And, and, and the only response that, that a believer could have is to completely give himself and to strip himself and, 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 and to give it all to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to ultimately make Him king. Very fitting that Jonathan was going to be king, but he completely gave up his right. And he told them, you are, going to, you are anointed of God. Many people think when they read the, 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 the story, the account of 1 Samuel, has very many interesting stories, and there's another interesting character there named Saul, and we don't have enough time to get into Saul. But, but Saul becomes jealous and in and, and, and various accounts he tries to take out David and, and he gets angry and, and jealousy taken over, not to mention that he disobeyed God. And, and the kingdom of, of, of Saul was, it, it was over, not at the point when he died. When the Philistines killed him, that was just the outcome. His kingdom finished right here when the soul of Jonathan was knit to David. Jonathan finished the kingdom in a sense, in the sense that once Saul was done reigning, if, if it all had gone you know, smoothly, Jonathan would have willingly given up his throne, willingly given up his crown for David. And so a believer who, in a sense, is, is a king of his own self, we, we raise the fist of rebellion against God when we come into this world. We are our, our own selves. Many people uh, mistake the term of being a child of God and being a creation of God. And many people say God won't send His children to hell. We are all children of God. That's the biggest load that there is because we are just a creation of God. We have to become children of God for as many as received them to them, He gave the power, the authority to become children of God. Let me not get off track too much. So here we see that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And we see here that Jonathan, in a sense, he gives himself to an anointed king. Don't forget that. David was just not a nobody. If we look back at 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, just a couple of chapters back, but, but once 
Saul is disobedient, he tells him through the, the prophet Samuel that, you know, God is taking your kingdom from you. And, and he sends Samuel into the house of Jesse and anoints David to be king. And then there's the whole dilemma of how is David, who's anointed king, how is he even going to get to the palace? Well, God in his humor self has Saul bring him himself. But that, that, again, that's getting off a subject. So here we see that, that, that Jonathan it gives himself. He, his soul is knit to this anointed king that's not reigning yet. Let's look at, at the, uh, the Matthew's account, or John's account, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 18, but before you turn there, I'm going to read one verse from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 32 reads, this is the angel speaking to Mary, saying, And he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord of God, and, and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is the Lord Jesus Christ we're talking about here. And this is the angel speaking to Mary of what's going to become of Christ. Now we know Christ came and he died on the cross. He was anointed king. But did he ever take his position of being a king? He was anointed king, but he wasn't reigning yet. It was the same situation that, that Jonathan will find himself in that, that, with David. He was anointed king, but yet his time had not come to reign. And in um, John chapter 18, this is the account of, of when, when the Sanhedrin grabbed Christ and they're trying to falsely accuse him and, Paul, and Pilate saying, I find no fault in him. And, and he's come, talking back and forth. He sees that there's just false accusations. I, I find no fault in this man. And in verse 35, it said, Pilate says, in verse 33, Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou king of the Jews. Christ, anointed king of the Jews. We just read that he is going to be king. Not of the Jews, but of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Jesus answered said, uh, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or that others tell thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and thy chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom, and if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from hence. He's saying that my kingdom is not of this world, but for now my kingdom, my kingdom is not here. There's going to be a time when Christ is going to come in this earth, the Bible describes, and He's going to reign. And we're going to, we that believe in Christ, that are, are believers, we're going to reign with Him. But the time had not come for that. And, and he's telling Pilate that the, my kingdom is not of this world. Yes, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say I'm not a king. My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate therefore said unto uh, to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end I was born. And for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth, heareth my voice. 
And Pilate is getting to the point where he's fed up and he says, what is truth? What is truth? What is Christ talking about? Well, of this truth, I believe he's referring to, we have to just turn back a couple of pages. In, in chapter 8, again, these are the words of Christ. I'm sorry, in, in, in chapter um, 16. Fourteen verse six, I'm sorry. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And this is the truth about Christ. That no man cometh to the Father except through him. Christ the anointed king, Christ hung on a cross, is the only way to the Father. Christ, the anointed king, yet not reigning, but to reign with him. We have to believe in him, and it's through him that he gets anointed king. So, so here we see the response of a believer with the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, it's very similar to the response that Jonathan has towards David. And when a, when a Christian be, believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, he becomes full of the, the Holy Ghost and, and he's, he's saved, he has certain responses to, the, to Christ. There's certain responses. There's, there's no such thing as, as you, you say the, the, this, this magical prayer when you're little, and I'm saved, and then that's it. I walk away, and my life is not changed, and I go living about myself and fulfilling whatever uh, wishes I have and, and living for self. That's not what Christianity is. Once a believer gets saved, there's changes that go on, goes on in his life. If he's truly saved, there's certain things, there's certain things that, that happen to a believer. And I would like to go over just some of those things that happen with a believer. Very similarly, what happens to Jonathan uh, with David. If we uh, look at verse 3, Jonathan enters in a covenant relationship, in a love covenant relationship with David, the same thing with the believer. He enters in a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in the book of Hebrews, it describes a new covenant that he shall write the laws in their minds and their hearts. And, and the believer, in, in a sense, is, 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 is in a love covenant with Christ. It's number one. Number two, the first thing that Jonathan does is when he sees David, what does he do? It's a very simple verse. It says that he strips himself, gives of his robe, uh, and this is in uh, verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, gave it to David, and his garments, even his sword, and his bow, and his girdle. You might read over it really quick and think that's, that's nothing. But really what he's doing, he's giving himself sacrificially to David. In a sense, that's what a Christian does for Christ. Once you're a believer, you, you basically, you're, you're a living vessel, you're sacrificing yourself unto Christ and you're giving of what you have. You're saying, well, what's the big deal? He gave him his robe, he, he gave him his, I want to pay particular attention to an item that mentioned there, and even his sword. It says, even his sword, big deal. He had a sword, he gave it to him. Well, not necessarily. If we look at Go back a couple of chapters. 
in chapter 13. I'm going to read in, in verse 22. And so it came to pass in the day of the battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any people that were with John, Saul, Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son, there was found. This is at a time where, where the Philistines and, and the Israelites would battle constantly, and it came to, to a point where there was no blacksmiths, and the, the, in a sense, the, the Israelites were helpless, and the, the only people that had a sword was Saul and Jonathan. So he gave them something that was very costly at the time, something that, that everybody needed to basically protect themselves. And, and he, so basically, Jonathan here himself is giving of the best that he has to offer to this, this anointed king that's not reigning yet. In a sense, a Christ, a, a, a Christian, should give all to Christ because, in a sense, he gave all for us. Looking at a verse in Second Corinthians chapter nine. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. Now this is what Christ did for us. He became poor. It says in the book of Hebrews that he became lower than the angels. Imagine that the Son of God that, that's on, on, on heaven, the presence of God, the Most High, and, and He would make of Himself of no reputation for the book of Philippians, say, and become obedient even to death, even the death of a cross. So in a sense, Christ gave it all for us. Shouldn't we, the least we could do is give our lives back to Him? And in the sense that, that Jonathan is, is in a sense saying, you did this great work for us. So he gives of what he has, sacrificially giving to David. So a believer, a believer sacrificially gives unto Christ. In verse 7 of the next chapter, Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or, necess or of necessity, but God loveth a cheerful giver. It's such a simple verse. There's a kid's song that my, my son listens to. And, and, and the kids go on to say, God loves a cheerful giver. And then they go, ah, ha, 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 ha. But it's, in a sense, it's, it's, it's simplistic. But God wants you to give. A Christian should, should be giving of his all to Christ. For what are we without Christ? He gave us everything. What, it, what is what we have? What materialistic things that we have? What weight do they hold in eternity? You could say, what's the most valuable thing that God has ever given you? So you could probably think, oh, when we reign with Him in eternity, maybe He could give me a galaxy to reign over. I don't know, use your imagination. But brothers and sisters, I tell you, the greatest thing that God could have given anybody, He already gave it in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Galaxies, He has millions of those. His Son, He only had one. Now, if God would give Himself, give His most valuable asset for us, wicked men, and now redeemed, if we could stand in front of Him, why wouldn't we give of ourselves, of all we have, back? So that's response number two. Jonathan gives gifts, sacrificial gifts to David, costly gifts. 
So a believer gives of himself back to Christ. All right, going back to First uh, Samuel, this time in chapter nineteen. First Samuel chapter nineteen. I'll be reading that verse one. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. So now, this is the third response that a believer has to Christ. Saul is speaking that he's going to kill David. He's speaking to his servants and his sons there. And what does Jonathan do? He goes and tells David. He shows more loyalty to David. Loyalty to David over loyalty to family. In a sense, he's betraying his family and being faithful to David. Now that might seem like something so simple, but I've, I've seen by experience... My experience is some some fellow believers hurt by showing more loyalty to family members that are unbelievers for the love that they have towards them than being loyal to Christ. And it brings about great grief. In a sense, Jonathan here is not just being loyal to David over his family. He's being more loyal to David than of himself. He himself was to be reigning king, but he himself, he was more loyal to David in the sense that he's giving him his position. He's more loyal to David than his family by warning David of what his father plans to do. I just want to look at a couple of verses that our Lord Jesus Christ has to say. First one is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, and in verse 26. It says, Sorry, I'm in John. John 14, and ter- verse 26. If any man come to me and hated not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Here we see that Jonathan was being more loyal to David than his family, he was showing loyalty to David over himself and over his family, over his sons. His sons would have been next reigning heirs. He was showing more loyalty to David over his father. And Christ is, and the, the context is not saying that Christ is not saying to hate your mother, but he's saying that Christ, he should be first. There shall be no gods before me. The context when God says that is that there should be, that, that here's, here's God. And then, you know, he's first. And then, then, there, and then there you have your other idols. No, no, no. There should be no idols before me. There's, there's Christ and that's it. So if you show loyalty to a, mo- a mom, a dad, a brother over Christ, you do what's more honoring to them than to, to Christ, that's a very foolish thing to do. I'm going to look at another verse in, in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verse 33. And here, Christ is, is ministering to, to, 
to the multitudes and, and speaking and, and they're being awed by, by his wisdom. And, and lo and behold, this, this woman cries out from... Um, oh, I'm sorry, this is a, a different verse. And, and the people say that, that your mother and your brethren are outside and they're looking for you. And, and Christ turns around and says, Who's my mother and my brethren? And they looked about themselves and, and, and uh, which, that, which sat about him and said, Behold my mother, my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my, my brother, my sister, and my mother. The context there is saying that, that the people of God are more important in a sense, than just blood-related family. Christ by no means is disrespecting his, his brothers and sisters. Some of his brothers even go on to write books in the Bible and become his disciples. His mother goes, is a godly woman. And in, in a sense, he's saying, Christ shall come first. Whoever listens to the word of God, that's more important than family. And, and one more verse in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11, verse 27. He's ministering to, to the multitude again. And, and, and a certain woman cries out that she's just so overtaken by what he's saying. Cries out and lifts up her voice and says, Blessed is the womb that bare you and the, the, the breast which, which thou hast sucked. And in a sense he's saying, Blessed is your mom because she bore you and, and, and you're such a wonderful person. But that's not what Christ is looking for. What, what does he say? Yea, rather blessed are they that hear God. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. I wonder what our um, friends over at the Catholic Church think about these verses. In a sense, Mary is blessed of, of many women, but she's no deity. She, she's nothing next to Christ. I think of the passage of when they're in the Mount Transfiguration and Peter just shoves his foot in his mouth and says the silliest thing and, and, and God speaks, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. How's Mary supposed to, how do they compare that Mary is, is just as a, a high, high uh, ranking as Christ? It's foolishness. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Christ above family. In a sense, the, the, the situation that the people of Israel were found in, in, in such uh, battle and tribulation, was because of the mistake of people honoring their sons over honoring God. If you recall, the, the start of the book is this, this woman weeping and, and she's, she's barren and she can't give birth and, and she honors God by saying, you know, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. She's taking the same attitude that Jonathan's taken towards, towards David and it's the same attitude that a Christian should take towards Christ. But the, here we see these two useless men, the sons of Eli, the Bible doesn't say anything bad about Eli other than he didn't rebuke his sons. The Bible doesn't say that Eli was a wicked man. But Eli, in a sense, he honored his sons more than God. And he, he, he said, what you're doing is displeasing to the Lord, and, and yet he will let them continue his wickedness. And because of those two foolish men, a bunch of people died in battle. The ark of God was taken. Everything was thrown. And, and everything was terrible because of men honoring sons over God. 
There's a verse also in, in 1 Samuel that, that's almost a theme where it goes, I will honor those, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be likely esteemed. This is God speaking. We have to honor God. Honor God over men. Honor God over family. You've got to be loyal to God. And we see that the situation that they're found in, and in a sense, the situation with this foolish King Saul is in a sense another outcome of, of, of their foolishness, being looking at other countries and, and seeing that they have a king, we want a king like other countries, instead of honoring God, honoring men. So third response, loyalty to David over family and himself. The fourth response is found in verse 4. We didn't read that, that far. Chapter 19 and verse 4. Um, and Jonathan spake, spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because of his works have been... To the word, very good. We see the third response of a Christian towards Christ. Um, speaks good about David in the presence of his enemies. In a sense, his, his father was his enemy at this point. It was almost becoming palace uh, uh, knowledge that, that he was after David. And here we see that, that, that Jonathan is speaking good of David in the presence of his enemies. And I tell you, it's very easy for a Christian to... It's very easy for me to stand here before you and speak good of Christ. I love to speak of Christ. But it's so much easier to do it in front of you, brothers and sisters. Because we have a like faith. And we know that we, we both love Jesus Christ. But when you're at work and somebody blasphemes His name, starts speaking bad about Him, and, and you know that if you start defending Christ, you're going to get the crowd against you. And everybody's going to tur turn against you. It's a lot easier to speak good of Christ amongst believers, but God will be delighted if you speak good of Christ in front of His enemies. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Peter, when he's defending himself, he goes, should we obey God rather than man? I mean, what do you want me to say? I'm going to obey God I'm in front of His enemies. He's, he's sticking up for God. He's sticking up for Christ. This Christ whom you crucified. With boldness, speaking well of Christ. That's what the Christian's response should be. To, to be able to speak of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, and the, the wonderful work He did for us on Calvary before your enemies. So, they, so Jonathan speaks good about David in the presence of his enemies, is response number four. Response number five, and it's found in chapter 20, verse four. And this is again, he, he goes and speaks well of, of his enemies. We're not, we're not going to read the, the totality of that chapter, but, but he, and he goes and he, he for, for just a second, he persuades Saul, and Saul goes, you have spoken well, as the Lord liveth, I'm not going to pursue, blah, 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 blah. You can't hold any weight, that man says. He says, as the Lord liveth, I will not pursue after David numerous times. Go count them. And he still goes after him. So, so in a sense, he again, David says, your, your, your father's seeking to kill me. And, and the dialogue goes back and forth. And, and, and Jonathan, he, 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 they, they, 
make a new co- another covenant with one another. And, and, and in verse 4, Jonathan says to David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. In a sense, the fifth response of a Christian to Christ is total commitment. Jonathan is totally committed to David. You could say that, oh, oh no, it's just old dad. He's, he's been drinking again, and that's what he's saying. He's after you. But he told me just, just a chapter ago, as the Lord liveth, that you know, I'm not going to pursue David. How foolish Saul was. But I'm not going to get into him right now. So, to be fully committed, in John chapter 14... In verse 15, Christ says to his disciples, If ye love me, keep my commandments. John goes on to say it in his epistle several times. By this we know we love him if we keep his commandments. You have to, a Christian has to be totally committed, totally committed to Christ. In, this, in the same way that Jonathan was totally committed to David. Seeing as we're running out of time, the sixth response it's one that we here have it pretty easy. But it's not, not so around the whole world. In, verse 20, in, in chapter 20, going back to chapter 20, I'm going to start reading in verse 24. And so David hid himself in the field, and when, he, when, the, hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat me, and the king sat upon his seat as other times, even upon the, the seat of the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner, and sat by Saul, and in David's place was empty. And nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something had fallen upon him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which, the, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to eat meat neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked me to leave and to go Bethlehem, to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go, I pray thee, for my family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother, uh, and my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, I have found, if I have found grace in thine eyes, let me get away. I pray thee, and see my brother. And therefore, he co- uh, he cometh not unto the king's table. And this is the the response that that Jonathan is saying. Whatever you say, I will do. And, and and then they plot and they say, "I will." Okay, go before your father. When he asks about me, tell him this. And this is what David tells Jonathan to say. So he's fully committed to Christ, uh, fully committed to to uh, David. I'm sorry. And and this is the response that happens. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, "Thou son of a perverse and rebellious." Woman, this is speaking about his wife, by the way. I don't know how much he thinks about her. Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor the kingdom. Wherefore, now send and fetch him unto me, for thou shalt surely die. And Jonathan answered to his, and said to his father, uh, unto his, uh, said his father, um, wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin against him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew it was determined of his father to slay David. The sixth response of a Christian 
and I, I tell you again, we have it easy here, is a Christian will be persecuted, will suffer persecution, whether it be verbal, whether it be physical, will receive persecution for Christ. So here we see David, I mean, Jonathan again is speaking well of David in the presence of his enemy. And again, he, he brings the same reasoning. He just brought a chapter before that his father was okay. Oh, I, by the, you know, as the Lord liveth, I will not go after David. The same exact reason. What hath he done? He hath done nothing but good. And what happens? His own father throws a javelin to kill him. With the intention, not to scare him, but the scripture says to kill him. So we, here we see that Jonathan received persecution for David's sake, just as a Christian will receive persecution in this world. Maybe not so much physical persecution here in America. Who knows if things keep going the way they might, maybe in a, in a few years it might come to that. But there's persecution going on around all the world. In Turkey, and we, we, we read missionary letters and, and you're just in awe of, of what's going on. And we have it very easily here. We forget about this. And, and remember the, the, the lovely words of the Lord Jesus Christ when, when he, he, he says the Beatitudes. He goes, blessed are they that are persecu- persecuted for right for my name's sake. Blessed are they. And a, and a Christian will, will have persecution in this world. And in John 15 verse 20 says, the world hates you. Because you love me, the world hates you. Um, and, um, but it also about this persecution, what was, what was Jonathan having to look forward to? He was looking forward to reigning with David. Uh, I'm sad to say that, that Jonathan never got to that point. He died before he got to reign with David. But we as a Christians, we look forward through this persecution. In uh, Matthew 13, verse 21. I know we're almost out of time. We're almost done here. Matthew 13, verse 21, this is Christ speaking again. Yet hath he not rooted himself. This is speaking of the, he's giving the parable of the seeds. And these are the ones that are cast on the stones. Yet he hath not rooted himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of my word, uh, by and by he is offended. This is speaking about the seed that falleth on the, the stones. In a sense, if 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 one's not truly a Christian and it's not fully committed to Christ, when persecution comes, they will be the first ones to go. But one that's completely rooted in Christ, in the Word of God, he will endure persecution and he will stand for Christ. And what does a Christian have to look forward to? Just as Jonathan was looking forward to reigning with David one day, we will reign with Christ. His kingdom it's not of this world, not of now, not right now, but there's going to be a time when Christ shall call His people and we shall reign with Him. What a wonderful, just something to look forward to, to, to endure this persecution, but it's just for a while. And, and if we could consider these responses that Jonathan had towards David, is the responses that a Christian should have towards Christ. Um, if we could just sing the first and last verse in our black hymn books of hymn number 141 king of my life i crown thee now thine shall the glory be lest i forget thine thorn crowned brow leave me to calvary may i be willing lord to bear daily my cross for thee even thy cup of grief to share thou hast borne all for me hymn number 141 on our black hymn books
Gold my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for Thee. Even Thy cup of grief to share, Thou hast borne on for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for what you have done for us. We're so thankful for the work of Calvary, that you were just willing to put your, your Son in the hands of man. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you so much for, for the salvation that you have given us to him, through Him, Father, and that we're so taken over this man, this, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would just... I pray that would be all of our hearts, that we would just fully commit ourselves to Thee, that we would fully give of what we have, that we would receive persecution for Thee, that we would show more loyalty to Thee, Father, and to Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, over family, over friends, and over self, Father. We just ask as we part this evening that we would be blessed by Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we meditate upon these thoughts throughout the week. We pray for the people that are not here with us tonight, that are traveling, that are away that you would be with them, that you would give them journey mercies returning. We ask these things in your son's most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.